Welcome back to the show, Ashley. Thanks. So you're the first one that has hit me up and be like, hey, I need to tell, tell more, which I thought was funny because we talked for so long. So like, okay, she wants to talk more. She, and then you said something like the nitty gritty. So what is the nitty gritty that you skipped over? Okay, well, um, I like my mom to be able to share my stuff, like when I talk about it. But um, there's a lot of things that she doesn't like to hear. And it's something that I think needs talked about more uh, is uh, sex trafficking, uh, selling yourself, prostitution, whatever you want to call it for money or drugs. Um, That's something I found myself involved in. I mean, that's always something I said I'd never do. But then it got to the point where, you know, I was blowing through a lot of my grandma's money. So (laughs) that's what I had to do. And uh, the opportunity presented itself. So I jumped on it and it worked out. And I found people in my hometown that were older men and they owned businesses or whatever. And I could go sleep with them for 10, 15 minutes and make a couple hundred dollars. So after a while, were you you finding people on Craigslist, Facebook that you just knew in town on Facebook or Uh, other girls that I knew that got high uh, did the same thing with those people. So I kind of just got plugged in. And did the people in town know what they were funding? Like probably. Did, like, did you ever get high in front of them or with any of them? No. Okay. No. no I wasn't I'm sure, sure they did know. Did you have track marks? I wasn't a needle user. Okay, I, I couldn't was... remember. I've talked to so many. <laughs> I've talked to so many lately. Yeah. Okay, so you weren't. Yeah, that's right. You sniffed a lot. Yep. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, at least you wouldn't have that, you know, but still, like, you know, I pulled up your picture the first time. You were skin and bones. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, and how long did that go on for just in town? Because trafficking is sure. considered when you're just, like, being taken somewhere, you know. So, where were you being taken besides your town? Uh, I was taken to Chicago, Illinois. And I would go on, like, a Thursday and come back either Saturday night or on Sunday. And I'd meet even wealthier men uh, and do sexual favors. <laughs> we won't, I guess we don't have to talk about anything weird. But So I'd go there, and uh, I'd be there for a couple days. And I'd come back with a lot of money, um, a couple thousand dollars. And I'd be using while I was there. Um, the person so, who took me there had a plug there, so um, they could get me in while I was there, you know. So did this guy or these wealthy guys know that you were getting high since you were spending days there? They had to have known you were, you know, like Mia in fucking Pulp Fiction, like sniffing the entire time when you weren't in the bathroom. Well, I the guy I went with, um, he... Wait, the you, guy you went with? It was a it was a guy who took me. And I don't know if you would call him a pimp or what, but that's um, exactly what they are. If they're if they're bringing you from Ohio to Chicago, which is not around the corner, it's not one state, that's two states. Um 
So, yeah, that's considered trafficking you. If they're moving you from one location to another, that's yeah. sex trafficking. And yeah. especially if they're getting a cut of that money just for bringing you out there. Whether it's from you. My money. But that dude paid him to bring you out there. Right. I mean, probably, yeah. But And then I just had to sleep with him as well for going. And that was fine. So. Now, I did you know... Did you know this person from town? Mm, I knew him from other girls. That knew him for okay, I got you. So he wasn't from your area, particularly in your town, but you knew him from people that you met along the way that introduced you to him, and then he said, hey, I can help you make some more money. Yep. Okay, that makes sense. And how long did that go on for where you were going out to Chicago on the weekends? like three months and then that all it just stopped because that's when I I got clean for the first time that was your first time getting clean did you relapse after that I had two relapses and and then I have two years now yeah okay but when you stopped you know doing sex work um then you went to rehab like what was it that made you turn down the money for the rehab to go to rehab yeah what was it that you were just like i don't want to make money this way anymore i'm going to go to rehab oh that's how i got in trouble with probation okay do you want to remind people that maybe didn't see that episode either okay. or myself that um, you know well i was using and I, probation finally caught up to me and I was reporting and they made me take a drug test when I wasn't, you know what I mean? I wasn't supposed to be reporting. So did you have a relapse though after you got, went to rehab that one time? Yeah. Okay. Did, and, but what, what was it you didn't want to go? Why didn't you go back into it then? Uh, well, when I got out of rehab and I was clean for a little bit and then Mm, I don't think I could really sell myself sober. And then my relapse was really brief. It was only like two, three weeks, maybe. So it wasn't a time where you got to the point where it was like, I need to do this to make money because you were already back. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. That that makes sense then. Um, I mean, real quick, the closest thing I've done to that was, I don't know if you saw my Facebook post the other day. But some random guy hit me up, and this is what he said. He was like, I don't know him. I don't know how he found me. He was like, hey, do you smoke cigarettes? I'll pay you for videos of you smoking cigarettes. And I was like, what? And he said it again. And I was like, okay. And he was like, are you down? And I was like, sure, fuck it. I'm about to leave work and smoke a cigarette right now. He's like well, what would you charge me for a three-minute video? And I was like, well, I don't know, dude. Like, what would you charge for something like that, you know? And he was like, well, how about 10 bucks a video? And I was like, okay, cool. He's like, I'll send you the money right now. And I was like, okay, cool. And he cashed at me 10 bucks. And I literally drove home in my car and just videoed myself smoking a cigarette and sent it to him. Dude, I made $100 within two days. I was like, okay, this is cool. And like, I was telling some people about it and they're like, 
that's fucked up. Why would you do that? I'm like, what am I doing wrong? You know what I mean? Like I'm smoking a cigarette. And I even told the dude, I was like, dude, whatever you're into, that's cool. I'm not going to judge you. Like, Yeah. I talked about in my other video, how I go to schools and talk to kids and talk about, you know what I mean? Like they get to hear from me, somebody who's been through the stuff versus like a dare officer or their mom and dad saying, don't do drugs. So when I go and talk to the kids, like I keep it real with them. And I, I talk about selling myself and I just like, but when I'm talking to them, I just like go over it real quick. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't making enough money. So I made the decision to sell myself and that's all I really say. But when I say that to them, like they laugh and like, I keep talking, you know what I mean? So I'm like, you know, I probably would have fucking laughed in high school too. Like, yeah, right. I'm not about to sell pussy for, you know what I mean? Whatever. A 40 bag of dope when, you know, I ended up doing it. But, um, and like even my mom, you know what I mean? Like her being embarrassed about it. Like just, I don't really don't think she realizes how many girls, you know what I mean? Like even when I talk to like girls that like maybe wasn't doing it like me, but they sucked a dick for a 20, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Like, we just happened. straight up a trade, just like you know, not even a money, just like yeah. the dealer, just you know what I mean. Yeah, and I've done that too. I've even like, okay, this is something. I after um when I had gotten my OVI, I lost my license, so I couldn't drive. I would have other people drive me because I went to a different town. It was like 15 minutes away to cop. So I'd have these other people take me. And like I said, it, I was doing like two to three grams. So that's two to three hundred dollars. And I'm buying that just for myself. Right. I was so greedy. I was not about to give this person that drove me any out of this two grams that I just bought. <sighs> So I would blow the dope man for two blocks for a 20 to give them. Like, what the hell? And I'd be telling them up front, like, just don't turn around. Like, who acts like that? <laughs> like, really? And, like, the dude would even know that I just spent all that money and still be like, hey, let me do this because I got to give them something, you know, like, fuckers. Giving them a show <laughs> is what you're giving them. What's that? But you're giving them a show is what you're giving them. <laughs> you know, like, what the hell? Because they dude? were in the car? Yeah, they were driving. I'd be in the back with the dope man and tell him, like, don't turn around. We'd just drive him, like, from the bar to his house, which was, like, two or three blocks. And he ended up getting clean, too. And we were friends on uh, Facebook. And like, we never really talked to each other, but what was it, what's funny is a year ago, I got put on a billboard for recovery, like my picture, and it's like, hey, recovery, call this phone number, get clean, blah, 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 whatever. So he ended up seeing me on this billboard, and he messaged me like, hey, I fucking seen you on a billboard for recovery, man. I'm like, hell yeah, dude, I look way better than the last time you seen me, huh? He's like, yeah. And it was like, it was just so weird, you know what I mean? Like, for him to see me like that, he was probably driving like, what the hell is that Ashley? Like, on the side of the highway. Yeah. But, but he's clean now, too, at least. Yep, 
Yeah. That's good. Because yeah. not everybody makes it out, as we know. Right. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, is that, like, how it kind of started to where you got more comfortable with, like, selling yourself? Is, like, well, if I'm going to, like, just to do stuff like that, like, but did you do that first or did you do it for money first? I did I it for like money first. It was for money first? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure if it, like, built to money and then built to Chicago. You know what I mean? Like, because some people, like, you know the favors go back to like even before drug use sometimes but no you were married early though yeah so i mean I like, how now i'm curious did that ever happen while you were married mm-hmm. or was it even a conversation that was like because you guys were hard up towards the end uh i think yeah, towards like at the very end you know what I mean? I think that was like the end of it. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Because I know your end was like quick. Like it went from like a hundred to zero for you with where <laughs> where you guys were at <laughs> and then just yeah. stop. Sure. So, you know. <clears throat> now the other thing that is nitty gritty that we didn't discuss yet is about yeah. recovery. And Absolutely. how we both have something in common about our recovery that is huge, that is a huge stigma, and it is not talked about enough because of the stigma that is attached to it. Yeah. Now, I have been doing this since day one in my recovery. When did you decide to start using medical marijuana in your recovery? Uh, it was April... Well, we'll just say May, May of this year. May of this year? Yep. Okay, so about five months ago. And what what made you decide that you wanted to add that to your recovery? Uh, well. Because at that point you had like, what, a year and a half sober? Yeah, dang near okay. almost two years, yeah. Uh, well, it's something that I have, I've never had a bad opinion about, you know, um, I've always viewed it as something good, uh, something positive. Um, and also I have epilepsy where I have grand mal seizures and I'm on medication for that. And I have occipital neuralgia, which is a pinched nerve at the base of my neck, which causes like hella migraines. And I have to get injections literally in the back of my head four of them every two months for the pain and um you know I talked to my sponsor about it and she said you know as long as I was going and getting my medical card and I was going to do what I was supposed you know to do it the right way um she didn't see a problem with it so I got on and I talked to the doctor you know and I had all my you have to send over your medical records or whatever so they know um, I mean obviously anybody can get on there and lie so they got to know you're telling the truth about what's wrong so yeah and it's been going well yeah it is one of the best things for people that especially epilepsy like it is I don't want to say it's a cure-all for epilepsy but it is the closest thing to help people that are epileptic live a regular life oh yeah 
if you watch videos of people that are like having seizures and they put like the drops in their mouth that's like or the spray even up their nose the nasal spray even reverses it in seconds yep um the documentary that got me into rehab legend of 420 like I, I sent you over that clip of you know me talking about while I went to rehab in LA, and um, <clears throat> actually in that documentary, um, you know in the middle of it is a segment about high sobriety, the rehab I went to in LA. In the beginning is a story about like a twelve year old in Oklahoma, and he had epilepsy so bad that he couldn't even talk. He never even got the motor skills, you know, to even have a conversation. He had, like, an eight-year-old brother that he never could talk to because his seizures were that bad. And they tried every medicine under the sun. And so this was, like, probably eight years ago. So this is before Oklahoma now has medical marijuana. Um, But they couldn't do that. So they had to move the family to Colorado. So they moved the family to Colorado, and they started using the nasal spray. Within two weeks he could talk and him and his brother could have conversations and he could live a regular life within two weeks. Just, just with the spray. Two weeks. That's all it was within two weeks. He was living a regular life for a 12 year old for the first time in 12 years. And I was just like, I'm an emotional guy. And I was like, so high at the time. I was, I was was so broken. I was getting ready to go to rehab so, like, yeah. I get choked up just telling the story, but when I was watching it for the first time, I was just, like, there was no turning this off. <laughs> like, I was just, like, crying so hard because, you know, it is a wonderful plant. It's not something that's being, you know, produced, you know, by pharmacies. That's why it's so hated on is because it can't yeah. make, you know, them money. And it can't make the doctors money because they're not writing scripts for it. Right. And also, like, I get it, like, a lot of people maybe can't smoke weed without wanting to use something else. I don't know, but I don't have that issue. You know what I mean? Like, when we talked the other day, weed was not really part of your story at all, like, in a negative way. I can't remember you been talking about besides like, oh, I drank and smoked. That's everyone's high school experience. Yeah. But it was never like I was missing work because I smoked weed. Right. Did it make your life unmanageable like heroin did? (laughs) Yeah. And like the most I want after I smoke weed is munchies and snacks. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going and doing anything. Like I don't even want to get up and answer the door. Like I just, I don't know. And actually that, um, like, I, this just made me think of something that happened to me last night. Um, I talked in my last video about how I work a 12-step program. Um, and I, that's well aware. People know that. And that I um, I don't really, I think I told you that I don't really like to give AA leads because, like, an actual lead at an AA meeting because my story is mainly drugs. So, I speak at like recovery events. Like I was at one in Indiana this past weekend. Um, All recovery type meeting, you know what I mean? Like not a 12 step one, but somebody made a comment on a post last night on one of the videos somebody shared um, of my speech over the weekend. And they said, oh, 
Does she talk about how she smokes weed when she gives leads? I just don't think she has any business speaking about it because it's a little hypocritical. Okay. You know, it's bad to run an honest program, right? (laughs) You know, it's a bad thing if you run an honest program and you're honest with people. Because that's what I'm being sarcastic as fuck. Because (laughs) that's that's why I don't go to AA anymore. Because in California, they were they let me talk about it. They knew they everybody knew that I was using cannabis in my recovery. Like Cali sober is a a big thing out there. Uh, Even before Demi Lovato started talking about it, you know, it was a big thing. So they were cool with me talking about it. And I got back to, you know, conservative PA, you know, and they're like, oh, no, don't say pills. You got to say alcohol. What do you mean cannabis? You can't mention cannabis in here. Like, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, they wouldn't give me a one-year chip. Oh, no. You know, so, like, I never went back. And I actually drank exactly a month later. And it was out of spite. like that. People being judgy like that is out of the rooms. Yep. I I haven't been to an AA meeting since. And, you know, I love AA. I think AA is an amazing program. The Mm -hmm. problem with some AA is the people. Yeah. Yeah. The people, um, they're called in the book deacons of AA. They're the ones that are like the big book thumpers, you know, but they'll try to quote you a line from the book. Like it's line 17, page 492, and it's this, you know, you know those people, right? Yeah. And they sit in a corner like the old Muppet dudes, you know what I mean? Just whispering to each other about all the newcomers and about look how bad they look. You know, yeah. it's those people that are miserable in sobriety that I never wanted to be. So mm-hmm. if I'm going to use cannabis, my recovery, and I'm going to be open about it, I'm going to be honest about it. Because be, not being yeah. honest will took me to use drugs. So yep. if my honesty makes you uncomfortable, then I won't come and I'll make my own thing. Absolutely. That's why I'm very thankful that I met my sponsor and I have her as my sponsor because she's very pro harm reduction, you know. It's- Especially because you're fucking epileptic. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I'm, on, I'm on gabapentin for the epilepsy. Yeah, but so, that, that, that doesn't, I mean, let's be real. Like, I use gabapentin. So yeah. I would like to get off of the gabapentin, but coming off of gabapentin also causes seizures. So my plan is to like just slowly. I have so many problems with gabapentin. So actually, the the biggest thing that we'll talk about with cannabis is changing your relationship with it, because I find that it's important to have a different relationship with smoking or using it in any way possible. Like, for example, um, I rarely use it if I'm having a if I'm depressed or having like a really bad day, I won't smoke right away. I will sit in the shit is what I always say, sit in the depression for as long as I can until it's past me before I medicate. And the reason is, is because I don't want to use it to escape. I don't want to feel like I'm trying to escape bad feelings like I used to in addiction. So like I actually haven't smoked in months. Um, I use these guys. They're, um, it's called RSO. Um, they're capsules and we don't have edibles in Pennsylvania. So like we can make our own, like we have a magic butter machine and we can buy like, you know, a quarter 
put it in there and spit out the pound of butter that's mixed perfectly and it's fucking awesome. <clears throat> but um, yeah, we got it for Christmas, um, and it's on Amazon for like two hundred bucks, and it's fucking amazing. Um, but anyway, so we we were using that a lot, but you end up going through a lot of flour that way, and then you end up eating a lot of butter. You find excuses to eat butter every day, like you know, it's not it's not healthy. Like I'm fucking <laughs> eating grilled cheese for breakfast just to like make an edible. <laughs> you know. My seven-year-old was like, you can have grilled cheese for breakfast? I said, you can too when you're an adult. <laughs> Eat cereal. <laughs> like, you know, um, and we've normalized, you know, what it is. You know, like, we've been, we've baked it before in the oven because you have to bake it for a half an hour, you know, at 240 before you put it into the machine. Because we actually used to make tea also. So, like, okay. when my gallbladder was functioning, like, all bad, I couldn't smoke because it was hurting too much because my nerve that I have that's going against my stomach without the tissue there, um, when I cough, it hits it, mm. and it hurts. So, like, smoking bongs or anything hurts. So, yeah, we started making tea. We would put it in the oven, you know, at 240 for a half an hour, and that decarbs it. It's basically the ignition, like a lighter would be. Because once you're done doing that, we would get loose leaf green tea. We would buy, like, giant packs from, like, Amazon. And it would be the loose leaf tea, right? And we would boil it mixed with the flour in the tea kettle. It would be, like, in this tea kettle. And it would be mixed the flour and the tea. And it would come to a boil. We would let it sit and simmer. And then we would, you know, dilute it with another thing of water and pour it in this giant, like, three-gallon jug and put it in the fridge and have cold green tea that was, you know, medicated. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so we did that a lot before we got the magic butter machine. But now I can use um, the RSO capsules because I can microdose with them. You know, I'll take a, I'll take one in the morning with, like, my blood pressure medicine. I'll take one in the afternoon with my medicine. Then I'll take, like, two at night to help me sleep. Okay. <laughs> but for me, the relationship part of it is I can't escape with it because I can't be like, I'm feeling bad, Xanax, boom. Minutes later, not feeling a thing because of Xanax, you know? Yeah. With this, if I'm feeling bad, I take one, and then an hour to three hours later, my mouth goes dry, and I start to realize it's kicking in. So <laughs> it can't be used as an escape. It has to be used as a medicine that way, and it kind of regulates me to, like, use it that way. And plus, like, I'm a 20-year cigarette smoker. You know, I've been – I just turned 35 today, and I've been smoking cigarettes since I was 12. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, the amount, less amount of smoke I put in my body, the better, because it's easier yeah. for me to not smoke weed than it is for me to not smoke cigarettes. <laughs> Let's be real. I go the rest <laughs> of my life without smoking weed, but I need a cigarette. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, you're lucky you can smoke indoors. I miss, <laughs> I miss being able to do that. <laughs> like, I, if I could smoke inside my office, it would be so dangerous. I, I would smoke way too much. The entire walls would be yellow behind me instead of green because I would just be sitting here chain smoking while I was editing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So what do you find works best for you? Is it, is it smoking a joint? Is it smoking a bowl? Is it using the tincture? Is it using edibles? Do you guys have edibles? Uh, you know, I, yeah. I go to Michigan to get mine because in Michigan they have medical and recreational, 
but I do have my medical license, but it's cheaper in Michigan than it is in Ohio. You're not far from Michigan, are you? No, it's like, I think we drive an hour and a half. Yeah. It's not too bad. And I go with somebody who spends a lot. So, I mean, the trip's worth it. So, yeah, I actually had a guy on from Ann Arbor um, and he uses medical marijuana. He has cancer and he's in recovery also from pills and he uses medical marijuana in his recovery too because he has cancer. And it helps with the fibromyalgia and everything else that comes along with it. I think it, a lot of people use it, even that are just still afraid to even say it. Yeah. You know, because it is such a thing that it it never has. One, I have never used cannabis and been like, I need to get really high and go get like 30s now. I've never ever exactly. needed that extra high. It always mm-hmm. has done what it's needed to do. And I always, like, when I did stand-up, I always had a joke that cannabis was always the, like, it was innocent bystander, you know? Like, when you would watch cops, you know, the phone calls on cops, they would never be, my husband just smoked a blunt, and now he keeps hitting me in the face. That's never the phone call. It was always, he was drunk, or he was high, and he's hitting me. Oh, yeah, there's weed here. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, we found this, this, that, this. Oh, we found some weed. You know, weed is always the innocent bystander. It's never the person that's actually doing, like, bad shit or causing it. It just happens to always be there. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And I I mean, I've kind of said that, like, I've even said, like, I feel like, you know, like, people get drunk and drive and, you know, kill other people in accidents or run stop signs and stuff. I feel like. If I would drive and I'm stoned, I'm sitting at a stop sign too long because, like, I think I'm at a stoplight or something. I don't realize it's a stop sign, you know? Like, I'm not blowing it. Like, I'm cautious when I'm high. I'm not cautious drinking, you know? The first time I ever, I was, like, probably 16. I was 17. The first time I ever smoked while driving, and I was, like, 17, and I was, like, stoned, like, behind the wheel. I was 17. And I stopped at a stop sign. And my friend's like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, I'm looking both ways, asshole. And he was like, this sign is saying there's a stop sign ahead. It was one of those, like, yellow stop signs the saying caution stop sign ahead. And I was just, <laughs> like, at the railroad tracks looking both ways. There's no, Nobody can come. I'm at a house right there. And there's just grass and tracks right along this side. He's like, there's no... Where are you looking? Just drive. The stop sign's ahead. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> but exactly to your point. I wasn't just, like, blowing through stop signs, you yeah. know. And there's people that talk about it all the time. But, like, you are a dangerous, careless driver when you're drinking and driving. You're the most selfish driver. The road is your road. Mm-hmm. But when you're on cannabis, you're, like, 95 years old. You're, like, checking the mirrors nine times, the blinkers. You're doing the whole check that they tell you to do yeah. when you're 16 in driver's ed. You're, yep. like, using the blinker to pull out. You make sure everybody's gone before you chance pulling out of the parking spot first. You don't want to cause an accident. You just want to get home safe. Like, <laughs> it, is, it is, alcohol is the most dangerous, by far, drug, in my opinion, to use, even I, I think it's even 
I would go as far as to say I am more dangerous drinking and driving than I was on pills and driving. But in addiction, I was more dangerous on the road if I didn't have pills on me because I would be throwing up bile as I was driving. Yeah. And that's more dangerous because that's a straight dry heaving and your eyes are completely watered out and you're driving and you're doing hope oh, oh, the entire time. <laughs> like, you know, that's why I don't have any stomach lining. I was dry heaving. <laughs> hey, so, you know, but when I did those pills, I could drive for hours. I was wide awake. I could clean the whole fucking house. I was good to go. I had all the, it's like I did a line of Coke, but it was pills. You know, sure. so I feel like I was actually safer on the road because I was more alert and awake than I was when I'm withdrawn and just like dying to drive yeah. to my dealer. And I'm like, oh, like, oh, like, that's more dangerous. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I complete I couldn't agree more. So not everybody knew. So people were finding out really for the first time, you know, about you doing this besides like your sponsor knows you know you've been open about and you've talked about it at like recovery meetings but not like in the rooms no no um because obviously um people are judgy and even people tell me that if i smoke weed i'm not in recovery okay you know what i mean i'm not blowing somebody for weed, you know what I mean? I'm not <laughs> selling my pussy to get money for weed. Like, it's it's stupid. Like, I'm functioning, you know what I mean? I'm not high all day. There's I, people in the rooms that take Ativan. There's people in the rooms that Bill and Bob, you know, Dr. Bob and Bill, when they wrote the fucking, they talk about using medications. If you, They even talked about, they went as far as talking about hallucinogenics. They were mm-hmm. using, like, acid and mushrooms in their recovery early on while they were, like, writing one of the biggest, most useful books when it comes to recovery of the 20th century. Yep. You know, like, they were, they talk about that. Read the fucking book again. Because yep. if you're going to sit here and lecture us, as in you and me, for, you know, using cannabis in our recovery, read the book again. Yep. You know, if reefer wars or reefer madness wasn't such a big thing in 1935, I guarantee they would have included cannabis in the book, too. Mm-hmm. You know, because they talked about other things like shrooms and acid in there, like that were useful tools. So, like, I. Doing like what they called, they were sedatives. That's what their pills yeah. were, sedatives. Yep. And not only, but like, they're the same people, though, that will argue with you in a meeting because you said recovered by accident. You ever hear, you know, like, oh, yeah, recovered. You're like, what do you mean you're recovered alcoholic? You know, you're always in recovery. You're never recovered. When you say you're recovered, you failed. Well, guess what? The word recovered is written in the book 17 times. Explain that. (laughs) Explain that. Yeah, my sponsor (laughs) says recovered. Yep. It's what it says in the book. And I don't even say recovered. But I stick up for those people that do yeah. say recovered, or yeah. at least I used to when I went to the rooms. But like I would stick up for them, and be like, you know, don't try to tell somebody how they need to talk in their sobriety. Whatever yeah. has given them that confidence to be there and to be sober, let them have that confidence. Why are you trying to tear somebody down mm-hmm. just because you it doesn't work for you? Okay, well I'm sorry for your luck. It works for that person. 
Yeah. Like, would you rather us be out there doing what we were doing before? Because you know what? We try being in the rooms with zero other help and it doesn't work for us. So let us use something that makes us want to be here and makes us comfortable with who we are. Because we today is not what it was 40 years ago. I know what the fuck I'm buying. I know when I'm buying sativa. I know when I'm using sativa in the morning. I know when I'm using the hybrid in the afternoon. And I know when I'm using the indica at night. I'm not buying a bag off the street that's called Skittle Fritz. And the person just named it that because it sounded funny. You know what I mean? (laughs) I know what the fuck I'm buying nowadays. Yeah. You know, I know how I'm using it. So it's not like the 70s when you got sober. So you know what? Like suck a dick because yeah. i'm happy as shit today and i'm not going to be miserable and pointing out somebody's sobriety i don't care if you come to my meetings on methadone i don't care if you come here on vivitrol i don't care if you come here on cannabis i don't care if you come here still getting high come here mm-hmm. a little less high next time come here with a few yep. extra drinks less in you next time and get more sober it's all about harm reduction we are here we we do meetings on harm reduction specifically here not only okay. that, a couple of weeks ago, I had a guy named Kenneth Anderson on. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but he literally wrote a book called Harm, Reduct- Harm Reduction, How to Change Your Drinking. And oh. he has a group on Facebook called HAMS, H-A-M-S, which stands for Harm Reduction, Abstinence, Moderation, um, Support. And it has like 9,000 people in there. And some of them are abstinent from alcohol. They're called alcohol-free. They talk about terms like AUD, SUD, not alcoholic, um, like alcohol use disorder and substance use disorder. So they use the real terms. And he's written a bunch of books on treatment. And every Tuesday, he does an intox where he doesn't drive. He doesn't go anywhere. He stays home. He watches movies and he drinks a bottle. And then the other six days, he does his writing, he does his school, he's got like master's degrees on master's degrees, he does his groups that he runs, and then on Tuesdays, he gets drunk. And he's all about harm reduction. So his episode's a pretty cool episode. Um, It it is the longest one I did, it's two hours. And But he talks about that, and I can't stand, there's people even in my comments that judge all the time about people's recovery, it's like, just be happy that we're in recovery. No shit. <laughs> it could be so much worse. Yeah, exactly. And holding that in and holding in how your recovery is going is detrimental to both yourself and to somebody else that you could help save their life when you know that's all they need is to add that into their recovery and they're going to be fixed. Not fixed, but have a lot better of a time and a lot more comfortable of a time. Yeah. Like, imagine if you could have used this medicine from the beginning as opposed to last five months. Right. Would that have made a big difference, you think, in your recovery? Or how comfortable you were? I mean, I don't know, because this, like, this wasn't my first time in recovery. So, you know. I definitely wouldn't have been on gabapentin as long. I know that. So, um, because now if I don't take my gabapentin, like I get migraines, like I withdraw from it. So, but um, you know what? Honestly, I couldn't even have smoked weed if I wanted to this time from the beginning anyways, because I was on drug court. You're on. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, 
it is what it is. And at least, like, you got to do sobriety different this time. So I'm sure the other times, like, you were not, you were misusing it. Like, yeah. you were using weed as more of a crutch as opposed to a medicine. It's different when, whenever you smoke with the intention of, I want my body to feel better. I want my neck to feel better. I want my knees to feel better. Whatever. When you smoke with intention, it works with that intention. So, but when back in the day, you're like, I want to get fucked up. I want to get so ripped. I want to get so high. And then you smoke, 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 <laughs> you know? And then the relationship differences, you're like, oh shit, this is in pain. Oh shit, my anxiety. Oh shit, my epilepsy. Oh shit, yeah. this. I need, you know what I mean? Like you're using it as a medicine and not because you just need to escape. Uh-huh. And that mindset change is the difference. You know, that's what. <clears throat> Sorry. When I smoke, I smoke in the morning when I wake up because from when I was just sick, um, I had a H. pylori in my stomach, um, which is a bacteria which had me. They thought it was my gallbladder. Like I couldn't I couldn't eat anything like very, very, very sick. So I'm just now like getting over that and starting to get my appetite back, but I still have the really bad nausea in the morning. So I smoke when I wake up to help with the nausea. And then typically I'm at work all day and then I don't smoke till like six, seven o'clock. And that's just a couple hits. And then when I'm laying down for bed is when I like smoke to go to sleep. Yeah. Like, I'm not even, like, really, like, high throughout the day. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, it's a totally different feeling. Like I said, like, it, it's almost as if your brain accepts it differently. I, I think it's uh, almost the same kind of idea as, like, you know, back in high school when you would drink to party. And it, you yeah. had, a, had a great time because you were drinking with the intention of I'm celebrating whatever tonight. As opposed to when you become, like, an alcoholic drinker when you're by yourself and you're drinking and you're just like sad and like crying into your bottle, you know what I mean? So, you know, I appreciate how you share it, you know, and that you are willing to be like, this is who I am, Mm -hmm. you know, like take me or leave me, you know, because what we, when we talk about our story, it's a very vulnerable thing. We are, we're doing a thing that sober people that are normies that don't have a drinking or drug problem. They can never do. Yeah. You you don't see people that don't have mental health issues and they don't have substance abuse issues or alcohol use issues where they're pouring their heart out on social media. Yeah. You know, you never see those stories like, oh, yeah, like I'm I'm a dad. I work full time and my mental health is great. I go to the gym five days. You don't hear about their struggles. Yeah. You know, and they have struggles. They just don't know how to internalize them because they have all these materialistic things that they can mask their struggles with. Huh. And people like us are just like, fuck it. Here's who I am. And if you don't like that, then kick rocks because this is exactly who I'm going to be. Because yeah. I love who I am. Finally, for the first time in my life, I'm comfortable with who I am. Yeah. Yeah. So. For real. I just think it's, you know, a very brave thing when people can share it because not everybody can, you know, it's easy to share in an AA meeting because like everybody is there for that reason. But when you're putting it out there, out there, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a very vulnerable thing. 
So, but I think it's it's more helpful than hurtful because I was never, you were never this open before when you tried sobriety, I'm sure. No, (laughs) no. And this time, like, is I just what tried to be like as transparent as I could be, you know? I feel like that takes a lot of weight off so that we don't have the shame and guilt that comes attached with the things that we did in addiction that we have to feel bad for. Right. And like also, you know, with my sponsor, she actually has like a couple other, like another girl who was, did like the whole prostitution, sex trafficking thing like I did. So like I got brought into like with a group of people who had all been through like similar things with me you know and like we all do AA like all of us girls do AA but I mean a lot of our struggles are with drugs so you and, you have you're cool with your like sponsee sisters then is what we call them like you know when it's like your sponsors other sponsees yeah <laughs> you know and we call them our sponsee brothers you know or sponsee yeah. sisters so whenever that? like yeah all of us are really fucked up, you know, like, my sponsor is always to be like, Ashley, what did I do to deserve all you girls? And I'm just like, oh, no, dude, you're an angel sent from heaven. Like, <laughs> it would have been funny, like well, we all want what you have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And she's. You know what I mean? She doesn't judge like she's accepting. Like I said, like she's down, like she's the one that opened my eyes to like, not even just like marijuana maintenance, harm reduction, like all avenues of harm reduction. Safe like, needle exchanges. Yeah. Like, all, that kind of shit. Making sure yeah. there's a safe place to use, use with a buddy. Actually yep. promoting, you know, drug use in a positive way. As opposed to, you know, I hate when they refer to us as junkies or addicts, you know what I mean? Or, you know, like, like, no, we have like substance use disorders. Stop saying substance abuse. Yeah. We have substance use disorders. There's a difference. I was taught when I introduced myself to say, um, I'm a person in recovery instead of saying like, hi, I'm Ashley, I'm an addict or whatever i say i'm ashley and i'm a person in recovery i love that that's awesome because it's supposed to like you're a person you know what i mean you're not just like an addict or an alcoholic or whatever like we are a person first and just because we you know do identify sometimes as an addict or an alcoholic doesn't define who we are right who we are is a person in recovery yep so i think that's awesome all right thanks Thank you. I will talk to you later. Bye. Bye.